Hello, and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and demonstrate our disappointment with its adaptation, Game of Thrones. This is where Book Snob is a compliment. so wrong calling it an adaptation i feel so dirty yeah well it's like you know technically they still have that line in the in the credits saying based on the only way i can deliver my line is go- adaptation <laughs> we're off to go set <clears throat> my name is kylie and here with me is julia hello everyone and today, as we've done for the past few episodes, we are only going to be talking about A Song of Ice and Fire. Yay! Because Game of Thrones is airing and just sucking. Yeah. Sucking it up. And it's just, like I don't zero matter. It. We actually got a comment today that was like, I'm so happy you guys are going to be like releasing these podcasts. You're like a nice little A Song of Ice and Fire island in a Game of Thrones crap heap or something. Which, I don't know if you've been to our blogs. We're yeah. a bit saturated on Game of Thrones content. Yeah, um, but speaking uh, of that, you can find our writing about Game of Thrones on mm-hmm. fandomfollowing.com as well as other things like the fabulous Agent Carter season two. <laughs> Julia just watched it and was so happy. Yeah, I wasn't at all was... crushingly disappointed. You didn't think it was Jarvelous? <laughs> I can't believe that actually happened. I can't believe the flamingo happened. <sighs> um. And then we also spill over onto our tumblers, IMGOT, Gifts and Musings, and she is the cultural vacuum. Yes, I am. So, what are you up to, Kylie? <laughs> what am I up to? Yeah. You mean this podcast or in life? Joy? In life. We, we don't talk about our lives enough, I feel. <laughs> You're right. I think that's what people come here for, <laughs> is actually more non-sequiturs, because that Jamie and Brienne podcast turned out so well. I know, you didn't talk about your cat enough, that's how I feel about it. I edited out the part where he jumps onto my back oh. and I scream. But my cat's doing very well. Actually, uh, before we started recording, I-, I went to get some water and a mouse came into my apartment like a month ago. Oh, I remember and this. It came in from under my, like, I think it's under my oven or under my dishwasher. And I would stuff silk steel, uh, steel wool there, but mm-hmm. I don't want him to get hurt. So I just don't. And the cost is sometimes there's a mouse. And sometimes he decapitates them. It just, <laughs> decapitation. Sometimes happens. you live but, blog it. Yeah. But he seems to think that my dishwasher produces mice. So every single night for the past month, he will just sit and stare at it for a good hour or two. And he's clearly tired because he's, his eyes are like half open when I come to look at him. So is, like, is he uh, Serpent's Lady Whiskers or Boots? Which does he most resemble? <sighs> That's really hard. Yeah? My inclination is Lady Whiskers. Okay. Anyway, now that we've touched on the important thing <laughs> in life, this is really... Would you like to hear about what I'm crocheting now? Oh, do tell. No. Um, 
a couple of weeks, I don't know, whenever this is released, like months ago, we we, we gave a poll for what A Song of Ice and Fire specific podcasts you would mm-hmm. want to hear from us, and Jamie and Brian won, so that was the podcast that we just released, and the second place winners were the Tyrells, which- Yay! Or the be- Tyrells. I say Tyrells. Yeah, everybody says Tyrells, but I, I think, yeah, because- um. Possibly, maybe the name comes from, uh, I think it was the Will Tyrrell who uh, accidentally, maybe probably on purpose, killed King William Rufus in the year 1100. Uh. So, <laughs> and that was definitely Tyrrell, like it rhymes with squirrel. Interesting. Well, I mean, I was, I watched the show for two years before picking mm-hmm. up the book, so it's just, you know, there's certain things that are ingrained. Um, I'll be honest with you guys, we kind of just threw the Tyrells in as like an ass poll option. We we're like, I don't know, give them the Tyrells to vote on. Yeah, well, yeah we should, no, but I, I don't, we, we have this like a doc where we have like a list of topics yeah. that we could do, just potential topics, and it's quite a long list. And that was definitely like, something that was on the list oh yeah no, it was something we had discussed before but it was kind of like oh we're putting together this poll just slap the Tyrells on and then he mm-hmm. came in second yeah which we're happy so that's going to be this podcast and then Bran and the others is going to be the next one yeah I like think. by Bran and the others like we mean just kind of like the northern theater mysticism elements right rather yeah. than anything else yeah and also Bran but yeah it's not he only has three chapters so it can't be the same or four so it can't exactly be the same kind of thing anyway the Tyrells, however, do not have any chapters, do nope. they? Nope. None whatsoever. So, uh, fortunately for you guys, that means we cannot give you any high-level recaps <laughs> that take an hour and a half. Oh, Unless we awesome. just want to recap all the Cersei chapters again. <laughs> well, so who are the Tyrells, exactly? Uh, so the Tyrells are the Lords Paramount of the Reach, or rather mm-hmm. Mace Tyrell, the head of House Tyrell at the moment, is the current Lord Paramount of the Reach. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're, you know, the Stark equivalent in yeah. the Reach. They have their house seat in Highgarden. They didn't always used to be the Lord Paramounts, though, did they? No, because uh, most of the Lord Paramounts are descended from, like, kings, the previous, like, kings of the kingdoms that were there when Aegon the Conqueror came. But the Tyrells are actually the stewards to the gardeners who were the kings. But the last gardener king died at the Field of Fire, right? As we all know, obviously. Yes, along knowledge. with, along with like 99% of his bannermen. Yeah, but uh, the the king of, uh, I forget his name, but the king of the rock, the king, the Westerlands king, didn't actually die. He bent the knee, but like there was like yeah. a last ditch alliance between the Westerlands and the Reach to... Uh, stop Aegon. It was kind of like, you know, Kasich and Cruz or something like that. Um, <laughs> it worked really it's no well. Longer, yeah, it's no longer topical, unfortunately. But whatever. Um, it's always topical, Victoria. So, like, what happened? He, like, goes to Highgarden and... Well, yeah, Aegon, like, yeah. shows up to Highgarden and the Tyrells were, like, the one house conspicuously absent from the Field of Fire. Mm-hmm. And all he does, he, like, shows up at Highgarden and they just open the doors and he's like, you are in to the Tyrells. Yeah. So... That's it. They're the yeah. Lord, Lord's Paramount. And like 300 years later, people still call them up jump stewards. Like, this is how classist Westeros is. I mean, but, like, they're, they're still classist against the phrase, right? But to be fair to everyone in Westeros, they are somehow still social climbing Like, I don't know how it's possible to be Lord Paramount and have, like, higher social aspirations, but they do. Yeah. They really do. <laughs> they they want that power. 
but they already have. So let's talk about who they are. We're going to talk who the main, uh, the main. Uh, correct me are. if I'm wrong, just before we move on. Um, mm. Does it seem like uh, the Reach is kind of the least politically unified of all the kingdoms? Because like we have all these major conflicts in the past, and the Reach is never like behind one candidate ever. Like Renly was the closest. And even then, there was a few houses that were holdouts. But, like, when you talk about the Blackfire Rebellions, you talk about, like, the Dance of the Dragons, like, half the Reach was for one, half the Reach was for the others. I'm trying to think, because the Riverlands has divides. Mm-hmm. But mm, I don't think it's to the same extent, no. And, I mean, the Reach has, like, a buttload of houses, also. Yeah. Like, probably, like, half the population of Westeros or something stupid like that is in the Reach. Which <laughs> like is it's, not shocking... Yeah, it's big and it's like fertile and it's mm-hmm. densely populated. Yeah, that's where all the food comes from. So mm-hmm. it's not shocking. I mean, at some point, Joy and I are going to do like some kind of walking tour of Westeros podcast or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause we're, we like the setting. We like the story building, even, even if one language is stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. <laughs> I know. But yeah, yeah, I would say it's not that they're bannermen. No, it's just like the way, like, like when the Starks make a political decision, like all the Bannermen are like, "Oh my God, we gotta follow the Starks," and like Martells, and like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't but, even compare anything to Dorne. Yeah, but no. but like when when like you know the the Tyrells make a political decision that doesn't seem to mean anything for any of their principal Bannermen. Yeah, it's true, and you know, you can usually point to one house that might be like you know the thorn in the side of the Lord Paramount, but mm-hmm. in the Reach, you could point to three or four. Yeah, and then there's, like, you know, you have, like, the High Towers who are, like, almost as powerful as the Tyrells, and, like, the Red Winds who are, like, off on that island. They seem to do their own thing a lot. Yeah, you've got, uh, you know, the Tarleys and the Florence who are just mm-hmm. kind of more more traditionally like the Boltons in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's The Reach not, is fucking huge. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying that Mace is doing, like, a terrible, terrible job. But no, like, this seems to be, like, a systemic thing. It's just interesting because it's not a particularly diverse region, but no. th- it's politically incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's and maybe you know part of it is that fertility. It's that they don't really need their Lord Paramount as much, you know. Yeah. To be sustainable, like you know, the red wines can just go drink their wine and <laughs> they're fine. Yeah, they've got it, dude. They've got a valuable export. Yeah, like the arbor is kind of huge. I mean, we, like we talk about like. We say this about a lot of islands, but like the Arbor is that like it's big enough to be its own country. It really is, you know. So is it, is it another Sicily? Yeah, pr- probably. But like it's bigger than Tarth. Yeah. So we'll f- we'll think of a good analogy. So like you know you talk about like even like you know the Shield Islands, like you think of them as these small islands, but no, they're not that small. Like these are substantial lordships. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Oh, the poor shields. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so who are the Tyrells? Let's talk about the characters in A Song of Ice and Fire narrative proper. Obviously, mm-hmm. we could go back into history or go into Duncan Egg and talk about those, but let's not focus. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about Julia's fanfic and Luther. <laughs> Luther's a canonical character. I know. I'm I'm saying like let's we were talking about the exploration of him. Yes. So do you want to? Do you want to start with who the head of House Tyrell is? Okay, so the head of House Tyrell is Mace. And uh, he is, um, he kind of has a reputation as, as a bit of a blustering idiot. A bit. <laughs> uh, is that fair? Um, well, he kind of, 
he's a man who prides himself on being like very wise and a very like uh skilled battle commander even though like he has no receipts well uh, like doesn't olena introduce him to sansa in this way yeah where she calls him an oaf and then she says the only thing he ever did was help himself to the or was that i don't know if i'm conflating the show uh, um she definitely I calls think him an Jamie- oaf to sansa yeah, Jamie thinks about how like his his entire military reputation is based on Ashford, which was number one inconclusive, and number two, Tarly did all the work. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, Mace, stay macing. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about him and his uh, public persona. I think a lot lately because we've gotten a couple of asks, asks about that. Yeah, but, that, uh, he's come later. He's married to this lady called Aleri Hightower, who's obviously uh, Hightower, but like probably their most powerful bannerman. Um, and we don't know much about her except for the fact that her hair is graying and she has, like, wires in her braid. That's, like, all we know about her. All I do is, I, I, I pictured the Maiko's uh, drawing of her because there's certain, there's certain, there's, like, no fan art of her aside from that. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he did everyone. But, like, that's, so I just picture her with kind of, like, this very stern expression. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we seriously know nothing about her, so. She seems okay. She's fine. Yeah, she likes to call Elena mother, but Elena objects to that. So yeah. super interesting. Yeah, let's uh, let's take Elena next. Who is Elena? Elena is uh, Mace's mother. She's from uh, House Redwin, and yeah, she's she's you know she's the queen of thorns. She has a reputation for being like basically like a very. You know how everybody has that great aunt who embarrasses you because they say like randomly <laughs> racist things to your boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> she's I like guess. that. Yeah, yeah. She does walk around talking about the serpent's horror, doesn't she? She does. Mm. Um, <laughs> we also see her. She's certainly not an official negotiator of House Tyrell, like certain no. pieces of fan fiction might have you believe. But she does have a degree of political savvy and she mm-hmm. is kind of like th- I, i'm pretty well, sure she they... certainly she certainly tries to have like mm-hmm. political influence and she kind of seems to lead the ladies mm-hmm. well you know she's like the matriarch or whatever right yeah but to the point of like organizing regicide parties together <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's hard not to like to elena at... even though she's kind of not a nice person in any way yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, then Mace has a brother named Garth? Yeah, he has uh, three brothers. But Garth is, I think, the only one who's still alive. Or the and only one he's who's... certainly the only one relevant to the plot right now. Yeah, but he's not easy, like, barely relevant to the plot. I think, like, Lazy Leo's father is also oh, I alive and mentioned Mace, tangentially. Yeah. He's, like, the commander of the City Watch in Old Town or something. But he's mm. not, like, important. But, like, Garth is only important because, like, he's... Like the person who uh, made Cersei <laughs> appoint uh, Arian's ex uh, Giles Rosby to the small council. Yeah, so... he's suppo- he supposed to be what hand? Uh, no, she, uh, Master Coin. Master of Coin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, because she was asking Kevin to be hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she thought that he was old and gross, so because <laughs> he farts a lot, apparently. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of gross Tyrells, there's Lazy Leo, who's just some douchebag at the Citadel. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's like, all sorts of, like, lesser Tyrells, yeah. like, branching, like, roses lower on the bush is the phrase they use. I'm just trying to think of the ones that have come up, but yeah. Yeah. Back to the family and proper. Mega and Alla. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, all the, the flock of hens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back to the proper, t- the proper. Yeah, Mason Tyrell. O'Leary's children. 
There's four yes. of them. Yeah, so their oldest is Willis, and he is he not at all... He seems to be a bookish nerd. He is not at all oafish. He no? is a bird watcher. Yeah, he likes to breed hawks and horses and read books uh-huh. and correspond with people who gave him uh, crippling injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was uh, hurt in a, a tournament against yeah. o- Oberon. Yeah. Apparently, the two of them didn't have any sort of animosity as a result, at least according to Oberon. Yeah. Well, according um, to Oberon, um, the Tyrells have this tendency to kind of throw their sons into jousting, like, way too early. Mm-hmm. Because this reputation as fine jousters is very important to them, but yeah, he he can't um he can't fight anymore. He has yeah, had he has, like I think I think he has a cane. Yeah, well I don't um he like uh like he doesn't have like a, an amputation or anything like that. But, like he has a really bad knee and he can't walk properly, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it, Cersei, who is lovely, thinks that like it's their fault. The Reachmen, the Ironborn, invaded the reach because they have a cripple because he's like the regent or the lord i don't know what the term is for it but he's watching he's keeping uh you know he's house sitting while everyone is at king's landing being all social climby he's the wardeness of the reach exactly (laughs) oh that's that's not a shot at like him not being manly that's a shot at the show show. stupid word Um, anyway, I mean, who uh, one, is... one of the Tyrell's uh, titles is uh, Warden of the South, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Who who is who is his little brother? Well, he has two little brothers. Yeah. But one well, of there's them. there's Garland, mm-hmm. and Garland is like uh, you know the manliest of men. We kind of like him, don't we? I'm just thinking of. I'm sorry, we do like him, but I'm just thinking of Phineas and Ferb's little brother's song. <laughs> <laughs> you really like that song? Well, just because you're younger, we're related. And your boys. And your boys. <laughs> so good. That's why they're their little brothers. Uh, we do really like Garland. He mm-hmm. seems, you know, courtly. Potential regicide aside, he seems like a mensch. He really does. Mm-hmm. He's. A, I'm not he's sure if he's them. a mensch or if he's just like courtly. He's willing to talk to Sansa when the rest of his family isn't. So I give him points for that. Yeah, that's true. Because the rest of the family is like, no, she's poisoned now. Don't talk to her. <laughs> I mean, she's literally running around with poison in her head, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't know. He's, he's certainly courtly. Um, he's a really good warrior too. He's, mm-hmm. he was the ghost of Renly and he like tore it yeah. up. Apparently when he trains, he trains three on one. Yeah. Cause that prepares you better for real battles, which makes and sense. And he was, uh, what's, what's, where's he? Where is he? That's, he has a seat. Uh, yeah, he is Lord of Brightwater Keep now because the Florence were yes. all attained. Yes. Um, and he is married to. Oh, Lady he's off Leonette. the market. Garland? Yeah. Maybe they have an open marriage because what's patriarchy? Yeah. Uh, they, he's married to Lady Leonette Fossaway. Uh, anyone mm-hmm. who read Duncan Egg knows quite a bit about the Fossaways. Is she a green apple Fossaway or a red apple Fossaway? You know what? I have no fucking idea. I was just wondering that as our segment. Yeah. Look it up. Oh, she seems nice too. I guess she like giggled when Tyrion said something. It's my head canon that she's actually the poisoner of Joffrey, and that Garland knew nothing about it. But it's just as yeah. likely that he was the poisoner. Yeah, well, they do seem to be the best position to do something. Uh, it's unclear. Oh my god, L- listen to what we know about this about her. Okay, here's her. Here's the full wiki page in Lady Leonette. Lady Leonette Fossaway is the wife of Sir Garland Tyrell. She is dainty and bright-eyed. 
Leonette is among Marjorie Terrell's retinue when she comes to King Landing. She teaches the high harp to Sansa. The end. It doesn't even say which boss away she is? No! Oh. <laughs> It's, and it doesn't even show the Fossilway crest, it shows the Terrell crest. It shows Garland's crest, specifically, with the two roses. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, despite the show's amping up of Night of the Fabulous's, you know, love of fabrics and fashion and all that, like, flowers are a very manly, masculine heraldy, like, back, back, back then. In- yeah. Yeah. Back back then when nothing happened, but um, I guess mm-hmm. in our history it was. So yeah. I, that's what George is clearly pulling from. But I just want to be clear: like Night of the Flowers is not like a jab at his masculinity. No. So speaking of Night of the Flowers, who is that? That would be Loras, who is the the third, the third son. Um, I mean, we call him toxically male, but he really is just—he's courtly too, I mm-hmm. guess. He's really just the embodiment of masculine ideals. Yes, exactly. Um, he's also, he's not so much an accomplished warrior as he is an accomplished, like, jouster and, like, tourney knight, I think. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's no slouch, obviously. Um, he's in the King's Guard now, so that usually means something. And he might or might not be dying. Yes. Probably dying. I, I believe that he had oil dumped on him. <laughs> That's just, like, the worst injury I can possibly imagine. Uh, yeah, but um, I don't know. Grand Terrell conspiracy theorists will tell you that they're faking. Yeah, we'll talk about the Grand Terrell conspiracy later. <laughs> we will. Either way, Loris, uh, according to Jamie, he's like the only King's Guard with any potential right now. Mm-hmm. So well, we there's Balin's one. He... Balin's fine. Mm-hmm. He's a little. He's not really the world's greatest thinker. <laughs> He's not the world's fairest actor, that's for sure. (laughs) By sea. (laughs) But then how are we supposed to pretend to have Tyrion kill your son? (laughs) Well, really kill your son and pretend it was Tyrion. Yeah. Uh, um, Okay, and then there's a fourth Tyrell child. Yes, that would be Marjorie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She's the only daughter. Sixteen. Yeah, she's got an extremely convenient vagina that everybody can trade around. Yeah, she's been, uh, I mean, she still, she still has the lamination on the baseball mm-hmm. card right now, which is, and they're really like hoping that, you know, <laughs> the child upholds that. Yeah. You know, she's been married three times and she has yet to get laid. So. Yeah. And we don't know if that's a problem for her or not. Yeah, she's we just, really have no idea. She's very opaque, and we're going to get into that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. She's, uh... I, the only thing we know about her is that she's probably a little bit smarter than her brother from the very limited interaction we've mm-hmm. seen. And by her brother, I mean Loras. That's who yeah. we've seen her interact with. Um, and she does seem... Uh, even Sansa comments, I think, that she has a bit of her grandmother in her. Yeah. So, she does seem on the ball. And then she also can be slightly snarky. Yes. Ever so slightly snarky. Not good jokes, but just a little. And then, I mean, she's, she's when she was a re- well, and she's she just calls Cersei genius. a vile. She just calls her a vile scheming bitch. Yeah, well, it takes her. It takes quite a bit to get her to that point. Yeah, it takes her literally being arrested for nothing. <laughs> it took Cersei sleeping with someone else and saying she did it. Yeah. So yeah, but she, um, first she was married to Renly. 
And then mm-hmm. that went south, so they uh, married her to Tommen, to, to Joffrey, and that lasted exactly like six hours before he died. <laughs> and now she's married to Tommen, so she is on husband number three at 16. She seems to enjoy husband number three. She gives him cats yeah. and, yeah. you know. They hang she sometimes. Ba- she likes babysitting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe seriously, if, if this were Carol, then she'd be tipping her 20, but unfortunately Carol has to deal with Marge, the sexual manipulator, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that's the Terrell bunch, I guess. Oh my god. Why, th- this totally is the Brady bunch, and then like, cause you know how Alice's head pops up in the middle, that would totally be Elena. But <laughs> she'd be like, why am I not included? What are you doing? <laughs> Mace? <laughs> Anyway, uh, so now that that we have a lay down on who they are, let's talk about what they've done in A Song of Ice and Fire so far, and for what purpose. Yeah, well, the first we hear about them is in A Game of Thrones, when Renly and Loras seem to have some kind of scheme going on to, like, pull in Anne Boleyn with uh, Robert and March. Mm-hmm. So, so, like, or maybe it's a Jane Seymour. I don't know, but... There, there were several of these where basically they're like putting like this nubile young girl in front of the king and hoping that pl- politics will happen. Yes. I'm sorry. I just got another Terrell ask and I was trying to see where to put this in. Um, but that obviously like um, that plan kind of goes away when Robert dies and Renly and Loras flee the city together. And the next thing we hear, Renly has crowned himself king and the first person to uh, to endorse him is uh, Chris Christie? I mean, uh, Mr. <laughs> so <laughs> friendly is not Trump. <laughs> Who is he then? Uh petulant, doing it because he he's kind of Kasichich, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Because Kasich had these delusions of grandeur, and he kind of like all he did was when he went on his tour. Tour, he uh, would stop and stuff his face with a lot of like. That's lunch. true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I so, don't know who the fucking Doris Kasich. I don't think anyone did, but. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm not sure what happened first, the endorsement or the marriage. But at this, like, he proclaimed himself king, and he was he was wed to Marjorie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she was she was like 15 at the time. Uh, which is on the young side of normal for Westeros. Uh, and then he goes on his, like, uh, like, tour of the Reach, right? His tourney tour, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's slowly, slowly, slowly making his way from Highgarden to, uh, to King's Landing and, like, collecting all of the Reach bannermen and all the Stormlands bannermen. And he ends up with this extremely, like, this ridiculously enormous army, like, a hundred thousand strong. Right. And the foundation of that power is the Tyrells. Yeah, uh, because obviously the Tyrells are the ones with the pull over the Reach mm-hmm. Bannermen. Although there's friends of the Reach that other people have, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Those are kind of, like, at this point, they're still very much sleepers, so. Yeah, for sure. And the only, like, kind of major house that doesn't join them is the Redwinds because Cersei has the Redwind twins hostage, so. But yeah. other than and that. We, we and can kind of assume. The Red Ones would have teamed up, given Olena otherwise. Yeah. And there's some Stormland people who are with Fristanis, right? Not very yeah. many. 
It's they're they're scattered people here and there, but yeah, yeah. some of the Stormland. But Renly's been um in charge of Storm's End in charge for a while, so he had a lot of pull. But again, you you are right in that most of that political power just because of population comes from mm-hmm. the Reach. Yeah. Um. So then Renly is killed, and the Tyrells. By Lady Brian. Yes. And there, then there seems to be a split with the Stormlands and the Reach. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Where most of the Stormlands, with some exceptions, goes to Stannis, and most of the Reach, with some exceptions, stays with the Tyrells, and they hook up with the Lannisters, right? Yeah, a little finger brokered this. Yeah. Because, like, uh, all the people who went ahead with Renly to Storm's End, there were mostly Stormlords, and they ended up with Stannis, right? But then most of the army, most of the foot, stayed at Bitterbridge. Yes, that's correct. right. I get confused sometimes. Like I was trying to I was trying to research this the whole thing for my fake, like the movement of everybody in Clash of Kings, and it really confused me. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that Littlefinger um, goes to Bitterbridge, and he negotiates a new marriage treaty between Marjorie and Joffrey. Uh, Joffrey is thirteen at this time, and Marjorie's already sixteen, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, she already has a younger husband. <laughs> um, Oh my god, Westeros is so fucked up. <laughs> and uh, then the Tyrell strength is instrumental in winning the Battle of the Blackwater, along with the Lannister hosts that came down from the, liber- from the Riverlands because they oh. were fucked up. Yeah, the, the Lannisters would have been fucked. Yeah. To be honest, without this. Yeah, and so, and basically, like, in exchange for saving the Lannisters' butts, they get, like, everything, basically. <laughs> they get... They get Marjorie as queen. They get Loras in the King's Guard. Uh, they get Mace Tyrell's seat on the small council. Yeah, you know, I think, I, I, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but I think that some people underestimate the political importance of having a King's Guard member. Mm-hmm. And I mean, certainly Loras was motivated to protect his sister because he's very chivalrous and would think of that anyway. But like, I was I was thinking about this because if Arian and Aegon and someone was like, well, wouldn't they want to marry to like solidify that target alliance? It's like there's other ways to gain influence at court. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sorry, that's like a complete just interruption. But they got think it's a big deal that they got one of those appointments. Yeah, because yeah, they're they're kind of hard to come by. Cause there's only seven there's kings. Seven. Yep. Yeah, and Robert like gave them to like just random people. I think. <laughs> He gave them to like his drinking buddies or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, yeah, none of these people are from important houses. It's really weird. Like, who the fuck is Boris Blunt? What is he doing? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and no, but like half the small council is like Tyrell men right now, right? Even though, like, we, we talked about how their bannermen aren't nearly as uh, as of unified a force as yeah. other kingdoms seem to have, but. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, t- the Tyrells got just a massive, massive, massive amount of influence at court. Yeah. Yeah. Almost almost everything, really, mm-hmm. that they could have wanted, short of, like, a handship, but that was Tywin's, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they eventually got that, too. Um, so, but what do they do when they get to King's Landing is that they immediately see Sansa Stark, the political prisoner, mm-hmm. and they start scheming, <laughs> you know what we could do? We can get even more power. We can marry her off to to Willis, Willis and Jurexorius. We'd get to rule the North, uh, or at least we'd have like a very good claim to ruling the North. Because at know, the same time, going, yeah. 
they're hearing some disturbing stories. Well, because well, there's, of- a, there's a split, right? Because apparently Mace's mother, Elena, was not cool with this Lannister alliance. She didn't think it was... Well, she didn't think the alliance with Renly was a good idea either. Or so she says, anyway. Yeah, um, she, she she seems to be of the mind that Mace is just sort of making these decisions and not really thinking through anything. Yeah. Which is hard to falter for just that. Just the whole thing about mounting a lion and not being able to get off. Um, <clears throat> Jesus. And there was a the thing about getting, like, cream back in the udder of a cow, or I don't know. She, she really likes her, her metaphors. Um, well, and I just keep thinking, because her husband died riding off a cliff on a on a lion. No, it was Something a horse. Like it was a palfrey. It was a horse. I don't remember. Yeah, Mace has the line. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah, Tyrion thinks some sexist things about it. And, um, yeah, so it seems to be Elena primarily, who has reservations about Joffrey more than Mace. Well, and Littlefinger was, according to Littlefinger, spreading stories about how, what a, like, demented yeah. he is. So so this whole thing between Elena and kind of, like, the, the ladies' faction of the Tyrells, I suppose you can say, and Littlefinger seems to go back to the very beginning in Britterbridge, where they're, like, they want Marjorie as queen, they want that position at court, but they don't want Joffrey along with that, right? Yeah, and they don't want her hurt. Yeah. Um, they don't, if she was hurt, then they know that her, you know, chivalrous brothers would rush to her defense too, especially Loras, who's a little hot-headed. So there's very legitimate concerns, not only for Marjorie's well-being, but for like, we can't have this huge political thing blow up in our face. Yeah. So already before they come to court, they have an assassination plan in mind. Yeah, it was, we know that because, uh, Sansa got the hairnet that was, mm-hmm. that contained the poison at the very end of the Clash of Kings, which is before Marjorie even arrives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the wheels were in motion for this. So, just to be clear, they get everything they ever want in this alliance, conspire already to kill the king so they can even gain more influence through and that then, way. Yeah, conspire to, uh, do an unauthorized Sansa. marriage between Sansa and Willis. So they are what you would call power hungry. <laughs> Which is amazing because mm-hmm. they are Lord Paramount of like the richest region, the biggest region. I, I don't yeah. know if it's the richest or the biggest, but it's definitely the it's most. It's definitely the, well, it's, it's not as big as the North, but like the North is, a large part of the North is kind of unusable in terms of like agriculture or any other kind of. I would say it's the region most likely to survive the winter. Yes, definitely. And that counts for a lot in this mm-hmm. world. Um, so that that's where things were with the Clash of Kings. Obviously, in the Storm of Swords, you know the Sansa marriage alliance blew up because the Lannisters found out about it, and she got married off to Tyrion. Yeah. So there went that, and uh, we'll we'll get into this more later. But as soon as Sansa was of no use to them, they did not talk to her. Yeah, because before that, when the whole Willis thing was still on the table, like she and Marge were suddenly BFFs, and she was in the little, uh, she was in the in the uh, flock of hens uh, club, and they were hanging out. But then, as soon as her marriage happened, they just abandoned her. Yep. No. Which no. Unnecessary. Sex. No cheerful sex advice. It's not, like, they didn't even talk to her at yeah. her wedding. Like, even if she's married to Tyrion, she can still come riding with you, you know? Like, nope. She's of no jerks. more, she's of no more political power, so therefore, why would they talk to her? Exactly. Um, so then, and we also know the purple wedding happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tyrells successfully killed Joffrey. 
however, they were very adamant that Marjorie still wed Tommen. Yeah. Because they, basically, she had wed Joffrey without consummating it, so her queenship was very, like, up in the air. Yeah. But it meant that she could still be saved to be married to someone else. Yeah. So, marry her to Tommen. Uh, she, I, don't, I don't know how it is in Westeros, but in... Uh, in medieval Europe, there was definitely a tendency for kings to favor marrying virgins over widows. Like, to the point yes. where when Edward the... Fuck, which Edward was it? <laughs> Forget which Edward it was. Edward the fifth? Dude, I don't know. Yeah, yeah when he married Elizabeth Woodville, um, who was a widow, it was like a huge deal. So, yeah. Like, even if she was a widow of, like, you know, with a legitimate marriage, it would still not be kind of seen as quite seemly for her to marry a king. Edward the Fourth. Thank you. That's embarrassing. It's face palm. I'm not in the yeah. Tudor fandom as much as some people, and it's a fandom apparently. Uh, yeah, you can whip out your Elizabeth Woodville references, but mm-hmm. really embarrassing. No, Edward is cool because uh, he was king. Like he's had he had two reigns. Like he was mm-hmm. deposed for a period, and then he came back. So, like, when they have, like, rain lists, they always have, like, Edward IV, and then uh, Henry VI, and then Edward IV. <laughs> and Henry Either VI did the same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Um, the thing with this marriage to Tommen now is that, mm-hmm. obviously, Tommen's not going to be ready to consummate it for a long time. Yeah, he's uh, eight. He's eight. And so she's kind of queen but not it's mm-hmm. a very ambiguous situation it and also that's good for the tyrells that- because uh i think mm-hmm. they, they still think that this lannister thing might fall apart because <sighs> and then they have an out and they still have you know a virgin to marry somebody they, else they don't they don't seem to be based on their history too they don't seem to be the types of people that go down with a sinking ship mm-hmm. when there's a siege they're just sitting and feasting and they're like whatever um you know the the great victory again that was all Tarly's work. Like they, they don't really gamble that much mm-hmm. from what I can tell. They're power hungry, but they're not like risky. They'll just Yeah. Anyway, uh so that's pretty much where the Tyrells are politically now. Oh, Tywin dies, so then yes. there's all these like gaps in the small council. You know, Garth the Gross was supposed to be appointed yeah, Master of But Coin. then Cersei decides that no, she's not into Tyrells and then they they seem they have like um they have a period where they're kind of in the woods. Not completely, but definitely compared to what they were when Tywin was still alive. Yeah, and then to make matters worse, the Ironborn attack the shields, and they're, mm-hmm. like, threatening the mainland, and uh, their entire uh, post is at Storm's End. Yeah, because Cersei's kind of strategy, such as it was... was or Dragonstone? Yeah, well, her strategy was basically that, like, she would remove them from the political milieu in King's Landing by giving them kind of more duties related to the war, right? Yeah. So she sent them to Dragonstone and Storm's End. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of her strategy, such as it was. And, like, she had reason, justifiable reasons, quote-unquote, but, like, it's kind of a hot mm-hmm. load of horseshit. Um, anyway, Loras goes to Dragonstone to lift the siege. He's successful, mm-hmm. but gets really hurt. Uh, and then what happens is that Marjorie was arrested because of Cersei. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it was Tarly marched his troops down yeah. to King's Landing. So Tarly got, like, custody, basically, of Marjorie from the high spell. And Mace is on his way, and he or Mace came to, and then he's like, I'm not leaving with my army until my daughter's innocent. Innocent is proved, yes. Um, and then Kevin 
kind of had to deal with, like, Cersei pissing them all off, mm-hmm. so he gave Mace a handship. Yeah, well, after hand- Cersei's fall, then, mm-hmm. like, we get that thing where there are 50% of people on the small council can be, can be considered part of the Tyrell faction. And the other 50% is Lannister, and then there's Lady Nim. <laughs> But uh, I can't wait for her to shout at me like, what the hot fuck is this? <laughs> Who is this extremely tall man? <laughs> Who is this silent Kingsguard? <laughs> Who is the size and shape of the mountain? <laughs> because I literally said I'd be looking for eight foot men. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's like half the Terrell contingent because mm-hmm. Kevin's really working, obviously, uh, to make amends. And then uh, Kevin dies because Varys is like, no, that would be too good for the realm. Yeah. He's too uh, so competent. there's still these Yeah, there's still these major Lannister Tyrell tensions and of course there's the trial of two queens coming up. Yeah. Uh Mace like, has a everyone seems to agree, like uh in universe that the evidence against Marjorie is ridiculous, but they're still having this trial because probably because the faith just wants to throw its weight around. Yeah. It sounds like something they do. Yeah. Um, I know. I can't imagine because, um, Marjorie wants to be, like, have an actual trial, not like a trial by ordeal or anything like that. So I can't, mm-hmm. like, people are, people are, say, like, speculating that it'll be, like, an upset and Cersei will be found innocent and Marjorie will be found guilty. But I don't know. I'm skeptical. This isn't, this isn't the good wife. Like, <laughs> like, maybe. Yeah. The evidence against Marjorie is literally just you don't have an intact hymen, and Pycelle mumbled something about moon tea once. Yeah. Because everything else has been proven wrong. Like, there was that bard that was tortured pretty much to insanity, and then Kettle Black's confession they found out was false. Mm-hmm. So, it's just... I don't know. It's possible. Um, Cersei obviously was, like, trying to push Marge towards... A- yeah. Trial by combat because Loras was horribly injured, so then she'd have no one to pick. Yeah, and but she was trying to push her into committing adultery first of all by like putting all these hot dudes in her path, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, a, a a royalty has to be defended by the king's mm-hmm. guard. Yeah, for a trial, so that's why because like all the other king's guard are just terrible. Yeah, so that's that's why she was like, he he, you'll have to do trial by combat. Marge is like, um, the hell I will. Yeah, because she's not stupid. So Marjorie is released from prison. She's in Terrell's custody. Mace mm-hmm. is there bitching about that every day on his handshape chair. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. Which that's, is that's equally parts awesome and ridiculous. <laughs> like, I can't yeah. decide if it's more awesome or more ridiculous that he has a handshape chair. Elena's back in Hightower, in uh, Highgarden, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, she's not just like, you know, being sassy. No. It's implied that we're going to see High. We're definitely going to see Castle Rock, right? We might even see High Garden, right? It is implied. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, implied by word of God. Okay, so that is what they have done in A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. uh, and their motivation is always just to accumulate more power. It seems there's not that much that we know for sure, mm-hmm. and in fact, their opacity. As a house, that's probably what they're known for in some ways at this point, because we just mm-hmm. we don't have a point of view, and so much is so unclear as to what they actually are trying to do. So I saw a meta on Tumblr recently, and you know I don't want mm-hmm. to do like a call out post or anything. It's just I happen to disagree with it. Uh, that was talking about how they felt that George R uh, R Martin. I don't like calling him George. No, it's a pet peeve of mine for sure. <laughs> don't do that. We're not his buds. 
No, that he, um, the, the thesis was that he dropped the ball by not giving us a Terrell point of view. That this is a problem I mean, of the story. It's definitely a conscious decision that he made. I mean, I don't think it would have been a bad choice to give some of them a point of view, but, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and like a lot of people. Kind of like the Rob thing. But, and similar to the Rob thing, a lot of people, I think, well, I mean, we'll talk more explicitly about like show poisoning stuff, but I think mm-hmm. people really like the Terrells of the show. Specifically, Natalie Dormer. <laughs> no idea why, I'm sorry. I actually really do understand why, based on like season two, maybe. Okay. I, I don't know. It seemed like there could be something interesting there. But there's certainly a lot of cleavage. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think people liked the idea of her being a little schemer, I guess. But I, I think people were like, oh, that's, this is one of the benefits of the show. You know, you, you, you aren't constrained by these point of views. And that's, that's why it's so great. Uh, so I guess, I guess we just wanted to talk a little bit about what we feel their opacity does and why that's yeah. maybe a good decision. So we actually have an ask that said if okay. you could have any if you could have any Terrell or spouse point of view, whose would you want? Uh well I know that if I were writing this I would like make it somebody random like Lynette Fossaway. <laughs> oh for sure. Leonette, not Lynette, Leonette Fossaway. But I don't know. <laughs> Garland. He'd be good too. Garland, really? I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want, I wouldn't want it to be anyone obvious like Elena. Well, I really want it to be Elena because of your fic. <laughs> but yeah. I would pick, yeah, like Mega or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you kind of can't have Elena for the same reason you don't have Doran or Littlefinger, right? Yeah, exactly. She has too many schemes. I guess. Um, That's at least the image. Mm-hmm. But in general, I'm pretty happy with not having a Terrell point of view. To be perfectly yeah. honest, and I kind of like I wouldn't be I wouldn't object to like Marjorie having an epilogue or a prologue, even though that means she would have to die, um, or something like that. But like I don't see any of them really being regular POVs. Pretty happy with that decision. I'm sorry. And the whole thing with the Tyrells is like, and I mean, maybe you'll disagree, Julia. Martin's very conscious with the narrative he's constructing, and. Mm-hmm. They don't exist for the Tyrell's benefit. You know, everyone's like, oh, a point of view would give us the, the true yeah. Tyrell's and this, this great insight. But insight into what? Because this, this isn't their story. It's Cersei's story. Or it's yeah. Lannister's story, exactly. actually. Like Tyrion, Sansa's Tyrion story. deals with them. Yeah. Sansa, exactly. So, like, what, what the Tyrell's do, just in a, in a literary sense, their function is to, you know, oppose these characters or for these characters to interact with. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they're not interesting in their own right, but it's just kind of like, to me, it's a little bit of a strange angle because it's like, oh, I'd really like to see what's really going on. But it's, it's not a, about what's going on with them. It's about how others are reacting to them. Um, and, you know, maybe the main issue is people want to take like this, this idea that Cersei really is this victim of this great conspiracy. Yeah, maybe. Well, that's such an undercutting like, of her own arc. I feel like with Cersei, like for every for every person who's determined to call her like you know an, an uh, unbelievable bitch or whatever it is, there's 
another person who's talking about how she's a total victim. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's fandom for you, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think more people call her a bitch. I don't think we can underestimate sexism. But even, uh, yeah, I-, I guess this is a good place to talk about the Grand Terrell conspiracy. Yeah, the Grand Terrell conspiracy, we actually do talk about this in our theory podcast part mm-hmm. two, where we in very kindly said it's bunk. But yeah, well, basically the idea is like Cersei's projections vindicated, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that they really are scheming to bring her down. Yeah. I mean, that's not exactly untrue, because like political power is kind of a zero-sum game here. Right, and it's not like these Tyrells are above scheming; they mm-hmm. literally committed regicide. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be unequivocally the case. That yeah, they did murder Joffrey, <laughs> specifically Elena did, like working with Littlefinger. Marjorie obviously knew about it because yeah, I, I I think the two of us definitely agree on that. I'm not sure how much the Phantom at Large agrees on that, but I thought it was pretty well agreed upon. Yeah, that's good. Because the show kind of went in the opposite direction, and I think that poisoned a lot of people's views on the matter. Um, well, of course it did. I mean, she's scheming and everything else, just not that. <laughs> she's scheming where she's probably not scheming in the books. Yeah, but like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, again, this this really does relate back to the function of the Tyrells and why we aren't the biggest fans of the mm-hmm. uh, the Grand Tyrell conspiracy is that we do think it undercuts the point of Cersei's arc about it being a self-fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy about her actions and her projections. Yeah. Which is why she was acting, um, sort of bringing about her downfall. And you get, you get to like a level of like Batman gambit. That is a little ridiculous. If you really assume that everything was part of the Tyrell's plans, like you have the whole thing with the moon tea, that was all part of their plan. And like, you right. know, Tana is obviously a plant and everything she does is to nudge, Seriously, to do something that they know is going to be part of the plan. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that just gets ridiculous. Like <laughs> it's one of those things. Like you, you you can get away with like maybe that happening once in one instance, but like when you start getting like webs <laughs> within weaving webs and everything, it just it gets ridiculous. And and of course, part of this plan is that uh, they're lying about Loras being injured because I yeah, guess Orion Waters right, is also because- one of this plan. Yeah, everyone's, yeah, Arrain Waters is in, Loris is lying, and he's gonna come back and champion for Marge in this trial mm-hmm. by combat, even though she shouldn't need one. Um, yeah. It, you can go down a rabbit hole really easily with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not right. saying that's not a fun rabbit hole to go down, but like, themes, you know, <laughs> Cersei's story is constructed in a way for a reason. Yeah. It's it's not by accident that she sees Loris and Marjorie looking similar and she thinks maybe they're fucking, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who wouldn't fuck their brother? Exactly. But that, that's, like, as much as we're probably going to say. Like, I just I just wanted to have that brief comment on their opacity because, well, yeah, you know what? Actually, I think I would want Leonette Fossaway's POV if I could have any of them. But, you know... I don't think I would want any of them, I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And nor do I think this is so much of a mistake on Martin's part as much as a very conscious effort yeah, to craft this family. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about their inverse public persona, and then we're going to talk about the fandom dialogue. It's kind of hard to know what angle to approach this at. Um, well, I guess, you know, when it comes to public persona, I kind of like to look at it through Sansa's eyes a little bit. 
Yeah, that's reasonable. At least until Feast for Crows. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because, you know, she's, what, 12, 13 when they get to King's Landing. And it's kind mm-hmm. of, her eyes are very just, like, focused on, you know, the excitement. You know, they come, it kind of reminds me of, uh, it, this was a terrible scene but when the Bobaton sh- school shows up in the goblet of fire <laughs> and they like are going like ah and like butterflies are coming out of them that's that's, that's that kind of so what sick. i think hey, why were they all girls why why did that happen why were they anyway. all girls and why did they have butterflies up their up their sleeves butterflies are very manly just our just our smart mullendor <laughs> Um, but no, that's like how I imagine it. It's just like, it's this nice air of these, you know, they're all about the chivalry and the courtliness, mm-hmm. right? And they have this yeah. wonderful image and they come bringing all this food, even though they're the ones who made sure that there was yeah. no food. Aren't they lovely? And they're very quick to like, they like hand their food to the small folk. Like they're, they're very quick to like, yo, mm-hmm. we'll freak, we'll frequent the fish markets and. Yeah. We have this I mean, like, adorable fool named Butterbumps. You'll love him. I do love him. He's obviously, like, you know, very good at his job. The fools in this. He knows when Elena's scheming and he needs to, like, sing louder. Yeah. No, it's 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 hilarious, kind of, like, inverse how the way that people treat fools, like Elena Danto says. Like, you know, he just hears all sorts of things now because no one takes him seriously anymore. Even though, yeah. Like, you know, magicians, like, you know, Illusionists. They're not dumb. I mean, that takes a lot of skill. So, yeah, and, bu- and Bumps knows some shit, for yeah. sure. Um, so, yeah, the public perception is, you know, the small folk do seem rather enamored of them. And then... Yeah, especially of Marjorie. Yeah, do you want to talk about idolized maidenhood? Well, that's kind of Marjorie's entire thing. Like, she's, she kind of uh, plays up all aspects of this, this kind of... Uh, idealized form of virginity, like the, the idealized version of what a woman should be. Like, she does the whole religious thing where, you know, she's, she's a virgin, you know, she's pure and she plays it up, you know, the maiden's day with procession and how she's talking about, like, uh, you're always talking about how she goes to the sept and she prays and, you know, some people comment that she makes quite a bit of a show of it and everything like that. But there's also the, the, the performance of, like, the, the the virgin is something like a sexual object that's unattainable and that also plays into like the fact that she's the queen and therefore like you know her sexuality is reserved for a very specific uh, particular person so playing up the whole unattainableness of her mm-hmm. is also part of that performance so like you know flirting flirting with Osney Clyde Black and everything like that that's that's all part of that idealized uh like but untouchable sexuality and I I love that she uh she like goes to the main vault, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For like, I mean, like, at this point, it's just like you know one of the keeps of the palace where they like sometimes put guests, but the like the the associations they have there like in the minds of other people, yeah. Right, because that's where Baylor the Blessed locked up his sisters to not be tempted by how hot they were. I mm-hmm. guess. Um, he was getting partials looking at his sisters, so he decided the best solution was to lock them up. He sounds like a joy. He was a mensch. <laughs> uh, at least, at least one of them was like shaming him about it. Yeah. But yeah, and then you know, similarly, Marjorie's performance can be you know compared to her brother's performance too. Loras is mm-hmm. the knightly ideal, right? He's yes. chivalrous, 
He's the best jouster. He gives the flowers to the ladies. Uh, you know, he's... Yeah. He's Kingsguard. Yeah, he's got this sake. kind of, like... Yeah, he's got this kind of disdain for all intellectualism, which I find hilarious. He only reads like books porn. with gay porn in them. <laughs> Some guy in a book. Who cares? But, like, that's... I mean, that's exactly how Jamie was, and, like, that's, you know... There's going to be boys mm-hmm. growing up in Westeros. Well, if maybe if he hadn't had boiling oil dumped on them, like he—he's the stuff mm-hmm. that idealized knights are made of. He hasn't yeah. like done anything yet because he's young. But um, and then there's the—I don't know. I mean, this isn't really the public perception of Mace, but we can talk about like <laughs> how characters view Mace, uh, mm-hmm. which is great because Cersei's just completely dismissive of him, from what I n- remember. I mean, he's gone. Yeah. But well, he's no. I know he's, he's there at the funeral. I know he's kind of like, like on one hand she dismisses him, but on the other hand she's just like constantly talking about his scheming in a very not nice way. Yeah, that's true. Um, Tyrion and Tywin. Obviously, they're not dismissive of the political value of the Tyrells in the same way Cersei is, but yeah. they don't seem to th- think that Mace is all that bright. No. I mean, like, I think, like, Cersei is kind of, like, at a loss to explain where they got all this power from because she's so dismissive of Mace, especially. A little bit. Um, and just seeing him as grasping. We got an ask, uh, I think you did, uh, for the podcast is, do you think Mace is secretly a genius? Um, and I think, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I think this might be based on Kevin's line about, you know, the more I give him, the more he wants. Yeah. Cause obviously his buffoonery, like, his request for the handshaped chair are ridiculous, but the demands he's making have to be kept seriously, t- taken seriously. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't. Maybe it's just supposed to be a commentary on the feudal system and just how, like, you know, it, it allows for idiots to get these positions. <laughs> but on the other hand, like, the man has gotten everything he's wanted so far, you know. But without his mother. Like, mm-hmm. his daughter would not be in a good position. You know? Yeah. He he gets everything he wants, but it's, like, other people doing it for him in some ways. Is it, though? Like, we don't really know that. You think he was in on the Purple Wedding? He did make a huge deal about the chalice, but that... I don't know, man. It seems like if he was in on the Purple Wedding, the Purple Wedding wouldn't be necessary, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Or maybe not, I don't know. I just feel like that Tyrell lady breakfast was suspicious as shit. <laughs> that's what, that's what I feel. But the whole thing with the, with the, with the Tyrells, like, like, yeah, Cersei projects some crazy stuff onto them, but she has mm-hmm. a point with them. And so does, and like, we oh, see absolutely. that with Kevin too. Cersei always has a point. That's what makes her so, you know, joyful. She's a joy. Even Jamie starts to realize, mm-hmm. like, how. Even Kevin. He, yeah. Uh, pretty much all the Lannisters, Tyrion's like hates Olena. Mm-hmm. They all have points because the Tyrells really are pains in the asses, and it's basically they have this power and they are not scared to throw it around. 
Yeah. They they exactly. know what they mean to the Lannisters right now. They know what their Everything. strength means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the Lannisters would be fucked with them. Completely fucked. And they yeah. completely turned the war around. They did. And they're doing so in a way that isn't tying them to the Lannister cause permanently, too. Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. it's incredibly smart. Yeah. So, I think that's... Like, most of what can be said about the Tyrells is, you know, we covered in our Cersei podcast, I yeah. would say. Um, because, Go again, to that, everybody. It's a really good podcast. I was I was listening to part of it today. Yeah? Um, yeah, because uh, I forgot. I remembered that we tackled the Robert apology, but I forgot what that ask was that had been the springboard for it. And holy shit. <laughs> that, it was horrifying. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> That aside, again, the point of the Tyrells is that they they are for the Lannisters or for Sansa to act against. Exactly. And, you know, if you want to see this sort of misalignment of public persona and who they really are, look at the treatment of Sansa. Look yeah. at how they, they just snubbed her at her wedding as soon as she didn't have any political value to them. That's why I think, that's, that's also part of why my headcanon is that Garland wasn't the poisoner at the Purple Wedding, that it was all the women. Because he wasn't an asshole to her? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that he's just not an asshole in the same way they are, but I just, I don't know, there's something so, Dramatically satisfying, if I may, mm-hmm. about the Terrell ladies just like all being in on this and the men just being like, what happened? I don't know. And like, when you talk about like Marjorie too, because like when we do see Marjorie, she doesn't seem like a jerk, but then there's her ass, that then there's her behavior towards Sansa. And it's really hard to reconcile. Well, and she, she has an edge to her. Like, yeah. you see that she yeah, has but like an even edge from Cersei's point of view. Like, you can see, like, not actually being Cersei, but even being inside her head. Like, you can see her interactions with Marjorie and just, like, see how much she's projecting and how innocent all of Marjorie's oh, yeah. behavior is. So yeah, Marjorie is literally just buying fish at a stall. Yeah. And, and she's like, you little scheming whore. <laughs> yeah, like, she's doing her job, which is, like, you know, to make people like the royal family. That's her job. <laughs> So. Yeah, she's riding around, and then she's asking Cersei to, like, join her, and yeah. Cersei, so, how dare you? I have a kingdom to run. <laughs> Only one? We love that joke so much. <laughs> well, it's, it's oh, like her best singer, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, although we do, there is that one moment where we find out the Ironborn have attacked the Reach, mm-hmm. and she's like, this has to be answered fiercely! And she's actually, it's like maybe a moment of candor for her because she's really fucking upset. Yeah. So that's that's like a moment where you can see that she has a little bit of a Lena in her, I guess. Like the whole thing, just like she, she understands what's going on. She has opinions. It's just, she's, she's, yeah, she's, yeah. And she's, she's willing to use whatever, whatever weight she has to uh, affect the outcome that she wants. I don't remember how much we talked about Marjorie's maidenhead in Cersei's podcast. I think I think we yelled at people about it in that, so I don't want to retread ground. Yeah. But please stop opening up threads about Marjorie's maidenhead. Yeah, please. Please. <laughs> either she had she either she had sex or she didn't, but she's been riding a horse for a very long time. So just yeah. like stop it. The point is not Marjorie's maidenhead. No. The point is Cersei. Exactly. The point was always Cersei. But speaking of Marjorie's Maidenhead, I think it's kind of inescapable to not talk about fandom dialogue surrounding the Tyrells. I think that's probably the biggest piece of this, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah? 
How so? Yeah, because the fucking show. It's mm. the fucking show. I'm sorry. Um, let me just read an ask, which is, I know you don't like the Marjorie on the show, but which is the sexual manipulator, the scheming sexual manipulator, but George R. R. Martin wrote a lot of her scenes, and don't you think this might be how she really is? No. So, <laughs> you don't... I mean, if you want me to answer with just one word. Um, no. I mean, how many of her scenes did he write? Not that many. He wrote the sex advice scene. Yeah? I don't know. I don't know if he was already seeing the cracks in the plaster at that point. Yeah, well. Because they were clearly going a certain direction with Natalie Dormer. Yeah, which was not the direct... Like, I'm sorry, it's just... No, that's not Marjorie. And that scene, I'm pretty sh- oh, I don't remember if it became right before or after, but keep in mind, this is the same Margie. Like, that same season was when um, she was, like, giving Joffrey a partial by holding his crossbow. Yeah. And that was the same episode where they had the wonderful castration scene that he definitely didn't write. So. <laughs> and, yeah, and for all we know, like, they gave him directions on, like, you have to write a scene where Marjorie gives Sansa sex advice. And he's like, yeah. Okay. Cause based on that Aiden Gillen interview, they're very much control freaks about what actors say and mm-hmm. what goes on their page, which their commitment to quality is really astounding. I mean, there's no, there's really no point speculating about this. I don't think, but uh-uh. with our George Arbor, like we all have George Arbor and head, head cannons. Yeah. We know it's true, but you know, okay. We don't think the show's an accurate, representation but we don't you know marjorie is opaque so is it possible she's like this no like i mean the (laughs) natalie dormer's character is such an extreme that no i just i not that like maybe elements of that a little bit but definitely not that well do you think it's possible that she's had sex with other people i mean that's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, it's in the realm of possibility, but I would find it very unlikely. Just like, I, I, if she's had sex with anyone, it's like Renly. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, um, Burnt Like the Sun, uh, oh, yes, if you, if, if a man prefers, uh, Hippocrats, yeah. but you still give him a taste of, what is it? If a man prefers, I think it's wine, but then you give him Hippocrats, but what, yeah, that's not important. He'll still drink it, yeah. But yeah, um, we got an ask actually slightly related to this, Burnt Like the Sun, which is, hi, for the Terrell podcast, what is your opinion on what slash who Marjorie's moon tea was for? Pycelle was about to elaborate, but Cersei stops him before I can say anything else, and that's all she wants to hear. Um, because she knows what moon tea is for. Um, yeah, there does seem to be like there's something more to it, but like, I know there's a couple of possibilities that are kind of in the realm of like, that's not exactly the best writing, you know? So like if, <laughs> if this is like basically like one of Cersei's schemes where she told Pycelle to tell the court, like, cause this was in public, right? To tell the court that Marjorie was, uh, was having Moonsy. Oh, but she like told Pycelle to do this off page. Yeah. Like that, that would not be the best writing, Ugh. but that would be a possibility. Uh, that would confuse me. Mm. It's also a possibility, like, the Tyrells... <sighs> no, but why would they want to poke Cersei into 
accusing her of adultery. I don't think yeah. that... No, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that they would, like, slip false information to Cersei about this, specifically. Yeah, and th- there's lots of maesters about. There's really no reason for her to go to Pycelle. That's the thing, for Marjorie to go to Pycelle. Is it possible one of her cousins got knocked out? Yeah, but that's but why would they go to Pycelle? Is it possible she just has really bad cramps? Would Punti help with that? Well, birth control helps with it. If it's, I mean, this isn't a abortificant, but we also know that Ariane takes it like every month, and it yeah. prevents. So it's it's both a, it 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 seems to regulate hormones on some level. Yeah. Or magic shit. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Is it possible she just like enjoys the taste of tansy? I mean, no, I don't think so. <laughs> It's literally called moon tea, so Cersei's not wrong about what it's for. Yeah. It does... The only thing is, if if she didn't need the moon tea for herself or for her cousin, that's not the kind of information you would fake to Cersei. You don't fuck around with, oh, hey, let me give her reason to think I'm committing high treason. Whatever Tyrell conspiracy you think is going on, they're not just going to play it fast and loose with that. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a huge deal. Like, like... You know, like, Marjorie sleeping around is just, like, taking that risk is insane. And so the idea that she would not only, A, take that risk, but B, go to Pycelle about it. Yeah. It's not... I don't know, though, that fucking moon tea, man. I don't know. There's not a clear answer, and yeah, you're right. If if it was something Cersei did off screen, then that's not really great writing. Yeah. It could be that just one of her hens got knocked up, and she was like, they're embarrassed to ask, so I'll ask myself for it, because he's nice. But apparently, uh, it's something that he was asked for many times, not just once. Well, Mega has, you know, a crush. (laughs) It would be ridiculously foolish Mm -hmm. for Marjorie to be sleeping around. Yeah. It's high treason. Like, high treason is not. And, like... And if there was, like, you know, like, one person who she's sleeping with, that, like, you know, like, her emotions would completely overwhelm any risk, then, like, it's not seated at all, <laughs> you know? Like, there, there isn't, there isn't a man like that, that we can see in the text, I don't think, so. Yeah, there aren't many good options for the truth about this, Moon Tea. Not that, mm-hmm. like, we can't judge George for something, Martin, that's, for something that's not written. Yeah. But, like... I don't know. I'm not overwhelmed with the. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why that's why I, I kind of think that the bad writing option is the most likely one. Oh, yeah, it happened off screen. Yeah, unfortunately. <sighs> but like, I mean, he's allowed one or two, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know how it will come out because Pycelle is dead. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um. On this note of the fandom dialogue surrounding those scheming Tyrells, uh, we got an ask about Tyena Merriweather and who she's really working for. Yeah, and I have no idea. <laughs> we actually t- we actually talked about this in the Jamie and Brand podcast, really, too. Yeah. Uh, well, we were just kind of like, I think she's just ambitious. It's possible. I mean, like, there's, there's several things that are possible, and they're all kind of equally possible. If she was in the Tyrell protection, then why did she flee? Mm-hmm. I guess is my question. Unless she just, like, things would inherently come back to her. I think it's possible that she just... She's out for herself? Yeah. Like, she's she's sharing information with the Tyrells, but she's ultimately out for herself. 
Yeah, she wants the best for her son. She sees that Cersei is, you know, easy target for flattery and flirtation, She's I not guess. Wrong. Yeah. Um and I think, you know, it's possible that she has some affection for Cersei too, on some mm-hmm. level. But yeah, I don't think she necessarily has to be this triple agent or anything. <laughs> I know, but I'm kind of yeah. I would find that she hilarious. Cer- but she certainly could be you know, this goes back to was uh was that was that made really uh spying for the Tyrells. Or did Tanya just say that? Oh. I think she just said it actually, which is horrifying. That's kind of what I think too. I yeah. always kind of thought that. Cool. Well, it's not like Cersei did any research. Yeah. Well, there was that whole thing. There was that whole thing about how uh, one of the hens was going to be whispering to her in the steps, right? Yeah. She prays. She goes to the steps and prays next to the other people that pray. Yeah. So therefore, and sometimes, sometimes Mega talks to her. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why Mega is the default hen, but she totally is. <laughs> it's because she's the only one we remember. Well, there's Ella and Eleanor. And little Alisane Bulwer. <laughs> okay, stop. I remember them. Yeah, maybe maybe it was Alisane who needed the moon tea. Mm. Honestly, maybe maybe Marjorie is prone to ovarian cysts, and she just needs to be regulating that. Well, why it wouldn't happens, I still say so then? I don't know. They're not uncommon. Um, no. The, the only thing, too, is... I'm sorry that we're back to the moon tea. It's just, uh, if if it was just for the, you know, moon tea, the normal use of it, why would Pycelle even need to clarify? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This could be bad writing. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Or maybe they won't. They'll hot potato this. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's about... Oh, oh, oh. Here's, here's another part of um, mm-hmm. another ask. That relates to, you know, the fandom perception, which is for the UBS, mm-hmm. how competent do you consider Mace and how much intercommunication do you think goes on in Team Terrell? Well, there's, there seems to be those two factions, like, but you can call them, like, you know, the girl faction, the boy faction, I guess. There's, like, the Purple Wedding was Elena against Mace. I think we can agree there, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, what about... Mace's, like, small council demands. Do you think he's, you know, talking to Mommy about that? Well, according to Elena, he tends to dismiss everything she says. So, I'm not sure. <laughs> why would he, why would he check I mean, we, we just, we just don't know, like, what goes on behind closed doors with these people. Do you want to speculate? I would tend towards no, that he doesn't talk to Mommy about his small council demands. I think that would be very bizarre in this patriarchy yeah. for him to do that. <laughs> because, like, you know, at Tywin's Wake, she was, like, uh, Mace was making small council demands, and Elena was like, dude, stop it. So. Yeah. Yeah, she does undermine him a lot, doesn't she? She does. She doesn't negotiate for him, but she undermines him. Mm-hmm. Well, because he's being stupid, mostly. Yeah, but there's no, like, Tywin and I are talking. Go away, Mace. Like that would be yeah. anachronistic. Yeah, or something. That was horrible. So what, what, the, the, that purple wedding episode. I can't get past. It was really. It was. A sitcom. I can't get past that George R. R. Martin wrote it. I think he was just like, whatever. We can't do more Martin headcanons. Yeah. Um, and then we actually have one final ask. This isn't so much about fandom dialogue, so much as. 
it's just, I think it's a good ass task in the end. Mm-hmm. The Terrells seem to be one of the biggest winners of the first act of A Song of Ice and Fire, but the following act sees a lot of upsets for them. Marjorie's child, Loris's injury and death, and attacks by the Ironborn. And I worry about the winter, given they've been shipping lots of food to King's Landing. And yet we know from George R. R. Martin's hits that we will see the Reach, but no more new POVs, so someone visits, and that the Terrell brothers have a big role. So do we see the Terrells as being on a positive or negative arc? Um, well, they're not POV characters, they don't really have an arc. Uh, mm-hmm. that would be kind of my first pedantic comment. But, um. I, 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 let's pretend the word was trajectory. I know, I can't, I kind of can't see, like, their fuckery being ultimately rewarded by the narrative. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that would be weird. Mm-hmm. Because they're kind of like everything that's bad about the feudal system. You know, like, down, down, to, like, the hollowness of the ideal of chivalry and everything like that. Right, like, they're, they're, they're the poster child, basically, for the feudal order. Yeah. But, they stink. <laughs> they're, they're stinky, stinky roses. Um, they're, they're, uh, you know, offing kings and being just petty. As soon as there's no political use, they don't care, like. Yeah, they're very kind of, I don't, I'm not going to say they're they're always looking out for themselves because they do kind of take that feudal responsibility that they have seriously, like, you know, uh, Marjorie's reaction to the Shield Islands and everything like that. But, yeah, it, it is a problem that they see this whole power thing as just, like, the ultimate goal is to accumulate as much power as you possibly can, even if it's not really to your benefit, right? Like... Mm-hmm. How is being powerful in King's Landing really helping the Reach? <laughs> you know, like yeah. in some ways it it does, but like maybe the Reach would benefit more from a more attentive Liege Lord. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Westeros is just too fucking. It's 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 crazy that Westeros is one big political entity. I think it would be odd with the stuff seeded about friends in the Reach, with the stuff seeded about Tarly or the Florence. And then with how overly mm-hmm. petty this house seems, I do think it would be odd if they won mm-hmm. the Game of Thrones or whatever, the, or however you want to put it. I think that would be a bizarre choice. Yeah. I don't think, I don't necessarily think they're tied to, well, they're definitely not tied to the Lannister fate. They made sure of that. But that doesn't mean it's going in a positive yeah. direction. Hey, Instead of theorizing about Cersei marrying Euron, why isn't anyone theorizing that Marjorie is going to marry Euron? I don't think anyone wants to pile on to poor Marjorie. <laughs> She's going to have a fourth wedding, you know but, it. Yeah, I could see that happening more. I mean, I can't really see it happening, but I can see it happening more than her marrying Cersei. Yeah, exactly. Um, Watch all this, like, crazy shit happen. Like, all of the, like, horrible stuff that we completely dismiss. Watch it all happen. We're gonna oh, have to eat a lot of crow. We need winds of winter. We need it now. We kind of do, and like, especially mm-hmm. if certain things happen with area. I mean, everyone really is going to eat be eating crow. crow. Everyone is. It's yeah. just been way too long. It really has. Um, I do like the Tyrells as as their function, and it. Hold on, we just got an ask. Mm-hmm. 
We're reading this live. Thank you, Angel of Direwolves, for the Terrell UBS podcast. Can you talk about Olena and basically talk about what Julia does in A Wedding with Sunspear, how her failed Targaryen betrothal affects her, and how she is so flippant about it when she's talking to Sansa? They tried to mud me to a Targaryen once, but I put an end to that. And how this is so out of character for a woman raised in a super chivalrous patriarchal setting. Also, chivalry and the reach and the irony of the Tyrells usurping High Garden. Well, yeah, that's kind of been the theme of the whole podcast with the last part. Um, yeah, for for sure that they're they're so chivalrous, but they're so full of shit. Um, but yeah, okay. I hate to pile onto the show. You know me. Really want to give it the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt. But can we talk about how fucking stupid that story was that they gave? For- <sighs> Where, like, she preempts the proposal that the totally a thing that happens in Westeros. Okay. So she, apparently she has a sister who is betrothed? Yeah, so her solution was to go fuck that guy so Mm -hmm. that he'd want to marry her instead of her sister because men really want to marry not virgins in Westeros. Yeah. And because this is, you would totally disrupt your sister's prospects oh my god oh that was so fucking stupid you can get out of marrying a targ because you're not into that for some reason we all know my opinion about this particular story i think um why don't you give it no it's 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 in my fanfic (laughs) well for people who aren't reading your fanfic julia no just she's making it up i mean like Basically, what, what I think happened is that, like, you know, she was betrothed to Prince Darren, who is strongly, strongly implied to have broken off the betrothal because he'd rather be with his boyfriend. Um, so, Sir Jeremy Norwich. Yeah, which would be kind of humiliating to Elena from her perspective. So it's really not surprising that she would, like, after so many years, try to recast this in a more favorable light to herself. Just be flipping about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to, to be like, you know, like, oh, did I ever... Did I ever escape from that horrible situation? But and and the you know they have the right of it though, where it wouldn't be it would be anachronistic for her to be like, nah, this isn't for me. Yeah, breaking it off. Whatever, I just put an end to it. It's a fucking Targaryen prince. Yeah, like that's not like the ultimate. Like you know, he was he was a spare, not the heir. But like that's the ultimate achievement for a Westerosi woman. So yeah. look. Uh, 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 Julia's gonna get embarrassed, but if you are not reading her fanfic, and this is her pre-canon, but it's also mm. canon compliant fanfic, well, it's called A Wedding in Sunspear. And if it's, no, I mean, purple holes, Julia. You're, you're, <laughs> that was in the Princess in the Scepter. <laughs> I, I know, but like, you have a very fine attention to detail when it comes to canon compliancy. Well, thank you. Um, and this is one's a lot more flexible in that too. Yeah, because it's just stuff we don't know much about in the canon. Read, read it because, you know, she really does explore patriarchy brain specifically. And Olena, like, is dealing just with the breakup of her betrothal. And she's kind of, she's kind of befriending a Dornish girl who's like, why are you thinking this is your fault? Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Um, so like, you really should just check it out for a million other reasons too, <laughs> but it, all I can say is that it explores themes that are incredibly, incredibly interesting to A Song of Ice and Fire, where we would, neither of us would ever purport to be like, yo, this is canon. It's just, it's a very speculative form of engaging with the narrative in a way, but it's to a point. So, 
We will. I will always defend transformative fan work. Oh. Well, and especially you're not, yours. You are not a shabby fanfic author yourself. You just don't write a song of ice and fiery fanfic. So, Although I you, put more tells. Yeah, in it. I put so many more tells. <laughs> you managed to put more tells into it. So yeah, you should you should read all of Kylie's fanfic. Well, I'm basically taking Julia's fanfic and then I'm taking one of her characters and making it into Fire Lord Azumi, so. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of all the Martells, so you don't really need my fanfic yeah. to do that. Well, if nothing else, read Julia's fanfic so you can understand these weird gift caps that I spend so much time making. <laughs> Which do take me a fair amount of time. But, yes, I know, I appreciate it. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're fun. But, uh, no, I mean, I'm I'm of the same mind with Julia that mm. it would be incredibly bizarre for Elena to have broken it off. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's not jive with the patriarchal order. I know, given the whole like you know the gay implications, like it's within the realm of possibility that her family was so disgusted by that that they broke it off. But like, I doubt it was the first time that some, something like that had ever happened. So, and you'd think it would kind of be the prince that would be making these calls. Yeah. And it was really super fashionable for princes to break off engagements at that time, so. Oh, Jenny. <laughs> Lady Jenny's in this fanfic too, and she's a creep. <laughs> Read it. I'm serious. Stop it, please. I'm it's blushing. Just, I know you are. I like embarrassing you, but no, seriously, it's really fucking good. And it's like, well, because the plot is all these reach men and a few people from the crownland, crownland, mm-hmm. including Egg, come to Sunspear for a wedding, and like half the chapters are reachmen POVs, and it's just amazing how they like have this values dissonance and culture shock. It's like, oh, there are women walking around here <laughs> without leave. Where's their scepter? <laughs> Jane Austen meets George R. R. Martin. I'm gonna write a formal review of it. Have I thoroughly embarrassed you? Yes. You know I only do it because I care. Anyway, on that note, because I don't think Joy is gonna be able to form sentences. Um, I think that's really about all we have to say on the Terrells. Yeah, they, they're just like opaque and they're interesting, and I want to know what they're gonna do next. Um, I like most of these characters. I want to know how other characters react to them, because that's mm-hmm. the point. I'm really, yeah, I'm really looking passive. forward to the Tyrell bros playing a bigger part. Oh, absolutely. And I love how George keeps calling them out <laughs> as being important in every interview ever. Yeah, I mean, he wants, he really wants Willis adapted, so. I'm excited about Willis. He sounds like the type of character I would like. Yeah, you, you like the chill nerds. They're my boyfriends, yeah. yeah. I do. Yeah, Willis and Quentin. I would date both of them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably date Garland, yeah. I know you would. Yeah. Pretty shallow when it comes to who I would date. I would date Marjorie. I love sexual manipulators. <laughs> um. Just to be clear, by the way, dear sweet Anons, when I say that I will date men, that does not make me straight. <laughs> And I can't believe that was something that happened. But Kylie, how can bisexuality exist if I myself am straight? <laughs> oh my god, the catering show. A classic. 
Anyway, uh, we're going to be doing <laughs> the brand podcast next. Mm-hmm. This one is actually, um, Julie and I were having internet troubles, so our runtime is like two hours right now, but I'm pretty sure this is a shorter podcast yeah. because there's just less to the trails, but there's plenty to the others and the northern mysticism and yeah. uh, everything brands up to. So I feel like our next podcast will be yeah. good. And then uh, there's that, a lot I to think- talk about, like kind of, uh, Tyrells and how they fit into the context of the reach, but we're going to save that. So for the reach, for the reach, which is one of the, oh, there's only three regions that are capitalized and it's one of them. So yay, that means something. <laughs> I remember that there was this one forum post a long time ago that was like, what's the best region to live in? And overwhelmingly everyone said the reach. You know, if, like, if, if you're like, you know, a straight white man, I guess. If you're into eating food. Mm-hmm. Or, like, even if you're just like, you know what, fuck everything, I just want to survive the winter and play a wood harp, I don't really care about this patriarchy thing, like... Yeah, but I guess it's good, if too. If you think you could suffer it, mm-hmm. I I would prefer my, you know, baba ganoush and yeah. olives. And, and my right not to be beaten by my husband. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. <laughs> um, I just, I think it's amazing how much people take chivalry at face value. Yeah. When the Tyrells really are indicative of how you know, uh, untenable, not untenable, just immaterial, it really is, yeah. at the end of the day. It's, it's a- they're all the appearance of everything, and yet... I'm sorry, they didn't fucking talk to Sansa at the wedding. Like, that's yeah. inexcusable. Elena wouldn't even look at her. And Marjorie just, like, gave her sad, baleful eyes. <laughs> She's got doe eyes. Go away, Marjorie. She's got doe eyes. She does. I like... I, I think my favorite part of the Terrell scheming, though, was when <laughs> Renly showed... Ned, a picture of Marjorie, and was like, does this look like Liana? And it's like, no. <laughs> I'm sure they were planning to, like, somehow wed her to Robert. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's kind of explicit, like, friendly cops like, to how, it. How was that going to work at all? Oh, he would, uh, like, because, uh, well, the speculation is that Renly knew about the twincest. Uh, so, like, they would expose Cersei for that, and then just have Marge kind of waiting for him. Like, she kind of looks like Leanna. She has brown hair. It's a virgin. And I just like how Ned was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is just like, you people are weird. I just came here to do my job. <laughs> and admire the clothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Ned's point of view so much. Can we do a Ned podcast at some point? Of course point? we can. I mean, there's so much to say about his arc. Ned is such a visual person. <laughs> Holy shit. The way that he describes the clothing mm-hmm. is so much more in depth than like even Sansa's. It's amazing. I love it. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say is after we do the brand podcast, we're probably going to do another poll. Yeah. Uh, but we have no designs to talk about anything but the books. For, I, I know we brought up the show a lot, but that's just because with the Tyrells, all we really have are the show's projections. Yeah, and just, I, I, with this topic especially, like, the show has really creeped into the book fandom. Yeah, because it seems reasonable, mm-hmm. even though there's a magically disappearing patriarchy involved with it, but yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to open up another poll. We, mm-hmm. The the walking tour of Westeros is going to take a lot of time on our yeah, part. Yeah, that's, that's it's going to be multiple episodes for sure, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, probably when the season stops airing, then, then we'll discuss if we want to do some more show stuff. We probably will want to, let's be yeah. honest. Maybe, maybe not in the same depth that we did for season five, but we'll see. No, I mean, I mean, 
It was kind of exhausting. It was like six months of our life. <laughs> what comes out of it? I didn't, I liked recording the retrospective podcast. Yeah. They were fun. We can do it once or one or two, but we'll we'll just see what comes out of it. We're certainly um not gonna stop looking critically at the show, but you yeah. can like see all our live reactions and stuff on fandom following. Uh and then <sighs> Dora just did not perform well in those polls. No. But we need to give Quentin some love at some point for sure. We do. Somebody has to. Very few people do. Uh, poor yeah. That's Yeah, I know. <sighs> Um, anyway, on that note, wh- how do we always end on Dorn? <laughs> on that note. It's the most important. It's the Gretel of Westeros. Yeah, and rejoice, in fact. She talks about Dorn a lot. It's endured. I don't think I could ever set fanfic anywhere else. I don't see why you'd want to. <laughs> well, that too. Anyway, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have any feedback, to, like, <laughs> Tell us to stop rambling for 15 minutes at I'd the be beginning. People seem to like rambling. The people are weird. I don't know. Our listeners are weirdos. We love you. We do love you. But we love yeah, we're actually kind of a, we're kind of amazed that anyone is willing to listen to this ever. Yeah, like this is but, this is okay. like all the stuff that we do like has a point, but this this is us being just self indulgent. So you know. UBS. And, yeah, we've kind of yes, we've kind of embraced that. I think with UBS, we've kind of made our terms with it, and I think yeah. you know, I don't know. I think there's a value. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't I wouldn't spend time editing it if I thought it was a pure shit. Well, fun shit, and <laughs> we're not completely self indulgent. Like we did re-record Deadpan because it was so bad. Yeah, that's true. So we, I don't know. We try. We just happen to really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. But if you have any episode suggestions, feedback, questions, uh, whatever, drop by our Tumblr inboxes or email us at unabashedbooksnobbery at Mm gmail.com. And otherwise, we will talk to you next time. Uh, Walk with the seven or whatever the saying is, everybody. Blessings of Akatosh upon you. Have a chivalrous day. Ew. Yeah. Can chivalry just die? Seriously. Chivalry is dead. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Let's keep it there. Let's bury it. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Goodbye. That's my inclination. He's actually very much just a chill nerd, except when there's a mouse. Right. Then he decapitates it. Yeah. Should we... But enough about my sonion. Should we talk about your sonion or something? I don't know. I just have a cat. This isn't that interesting. <laughs> uh, my sonion is definitely interesting. Both, yeah. He got mad at me because uh, he didn't get a permission form returned on time. And now he might not be able to go on the field trip. That sounds like it's not your fault. Yeah, well, I keep telling him. It's his responsibility to make sure the permission forms are signed, not mine. But, did you uh, sign it? Yeah, I did sign it. He just didn't put it in his agenda. Mm. Mm. So, um, fun, fun family story for my family. 
when I was in second grade, my mom sat me down and said, here's what my signature looks like. I want you to learn how to forge it. <laughs> and I said, why? And she said, just in case there's ever a need and you get to school and you're like, oh, fuck. Mm. And she said, oh, fuck. Uh, you know, I don't have the signed. I-, I want you to be able to do it. And then she used to make fun of me because I'm a lefty and she's a righty. So mine didn't look very much like hers. And my sister was really good at it. So, <laughs> yeah. You're a lefty? Um, I'm actually, I'm actually ambidextrous. Like Arthur Dane. 